Hi, my name is Jenny Byers, and I have been on staff here at Emanuel for 10 years. Um, I'm helping with the staff leadership team as well as the executive director of operations. About two and a half years ago, my husband Brian was diagnosed with stage four metastatic melanoma, and the doctors told us at that time that it was terminal, and so immediately people in our lives started coming around us and showing us generosity. People at work took up a collection to help me be able to go on a business trip with Brian, and unfortunately we didn't get to make that trip, but I was able to use that later when someone on staff paid for a trip for me to go to Florida with Brian. We wanted to get back to the ocean. It was always a source of peace and comfort for us to be at the ocean together. And I walked into work that Monday morning and I was told that someone had anonymously paid our entire way to Florida. And I can just remember the happiness and Brian was just shocked that someone would be so kind to us and we were so blessed and that trip even to this day is something that I hold on very dearly to um, and the memories from that trip. And God called Brian home in May of this year. There were a lot of thoughts going through our mind that evening and as I gathered with the kids, I just remember um, a moment where God showed me all of the things in Brian in our bedroom, they were still there after he passed away. And God really spoke to my heart that night. And I remember telling the kids that the only thing that really mattered to Brian at that moment was his relationship with God. And then the things that he had eternally done that he could take with him. And God really started stirring my heart at that time about the need to get serious about doing things for eternity. And my parents taught me at a very young age about tithing, and I'm very thankful for that. But God was doing a work in me about just being radical with my generosity. So I started praying about opportunities that God was going to give to me. When I heard about the hurricane that hit Haiti, it really broke my heart as I saw the pictures on TV because I hated that the people were suffering. I had helped with Project Loganoff, and so my heart really went out to those orphans and we wanted to check on them. And I knew I had to do something. And I was able to help um, Carrie, who is our missions assistant, she was trying to raise money to go over to help and to provide assistance. And so I was able to give that money to her um, for her to go. And it was so encouraging to me as I saw her post pictures of her trip because I knew that I had had a part in her getting over there. And so really I was there with her ministering to those people um, in Haiti that we all love and it really meant a lot to me. Now, I don't think that anything um, prepares you for heaven or makes you appreciate how real heaven is until someone that you love leaves you to go there. The way that God has helped me as a widow just calm my fear is just spending time in His Word and over and over He has given me verse after verse of just comfort and to realize that I'm not alone, He's walking with me and it's just shown me that my future is good. I don't have to worry and I don't have to be afraid that everything he's going to take care of and I am in good hands.
You know, it's true that adversity breaks some people down, and, and for others, it, it makes them stronger and causes them to trust in God more. And being up close and personal with Jenny Byers and working her for, with her for over the past 10 years, uh, I've got to see her go through amazing adversity and the loss of her husband and uh, the long, drawn-out process of, of having a loved one pass away. Um, and I saw her firsthand, up close and personal, trust in God for the entire period. And uh, she is truly a different person today because of the adversity in her life. She's become compassionate. She's become much more generous. And some of the things that she said today are going to be uh, part of my talk today. And so we're in a series right now called Generosity. And if you're a guest with us here today, this is the third week, the third and last week of this series. And what we've been talking about in this series is this big idea that the more we give, the more we live. That the more generous we are, the more we open up our hands, the more we actually take hold of life that is truly life. The more we experience the life that Jesus Christ has actually come to give uh, us. And what I'm talking about is a quality of life. Not going to heaven when you die but actually experiencing joy and purpose and meaning right now in this life. And uh, before I get into today's content, I want to go back to something that happened last Sunday night. Your teenagers, our teenagers, the teenagers across all three campuses have been doing this project called Be the Change. And they've been collecting money and giving money and, and uh, basically trying to accumulate money to give away to our 700, orphan, uh, 700 kids in Nicaragua that we're, we're going to give Christmas presents to and uh, the children in, uh, in Colombia as well. And, and, and we're going to give a portion of the money to Colombia to, to, to help students learn how to read and write and to feed them and to disciple them. And so they've been doing this thing camp this big campaign some students even went out trick-or-treating instead of asking for candy they were asking for change to kind of donate they gave of their own money they, they made t-shirts and sold t-shirts and so last Sunday night right here in this room they had a worship gathering and they announced what their total amount was and and the total amount was ninety five hundred dollars that our teenagers raised is that not awesome we had an amazing event. It was totally student-led. All the students up here that you see in this photo, they're all high school students. They led an amazing time of worship, time of prayer, and it was just a total celebration of generosity. We're going to be able to bless a lot of people. And so I'm going to challenge all of you to follow in the footsteps of your teenagers and our teenagers and to be generous in your year-end giving. And so it's very, very exciting. And, and so, so as we jump into our content today, let me just let me start out by saying this. Generosity is something that we feel like we should do. Agree? Everybody feels like, yeah, well, I should probably more, be more generous. And it even is something that we would like to do. I, I think if we polled the crowd today and we said, would you like to be a little bit more generous? I don't think there's many of us. There might be a few, a few Ebenezers in the crowd. There might be, but most of us would say, you know, I would love, I would actually love to be more generous. I have a desire to do it. I just, I'm not sure how it all works and I need some, some coaching on that. And so that's really what this series has been all about because a lot of people, although they want to be generous and they feel like they should be generous, they're really, when it comes down to it, they're not generous. Only, uh, the average Christian only gives 3% of their income away to the church or to charities or, or anything like that. Only 3%. Is that generous or not generous? What do you think? Generous or not generous? 
probably not generous, right? That 12% of born-again Christians actually bring the tithe back to the church. That's, 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 that's very, very, very low. And it's not, just, it's not just churches that do this research. There's a bunch of research that was done um, by an organization out of uh, the, the University of Notre Dame. It was, it was called the Generosity Project. It ended up uh, being published and put into a book form. This is a non-religious book. It's just a, a, a secular approach to generosity. They did this big study. And here's the findings that they, this, is, this is some of the empirical, you know, the, the results of their study. This is what they say. There are, some, there are some Americans who are generous, but many other Americans, by their own admission, live fairly ungenerous lives. They do not, for example, engage in much or voluntary, uh, they do not, for example, age, engage in much or any voluntary financial giving to any organizations and good causes. They do not volunteer their time and labor to help others in need. They do not extend themselves much in relationships with family, friends, and neighbors. Consequently, these less generous people are also less likely to experience happiness, health, and leading lives filled with purpose. That, again, is the second paradox of generosity, that many people fail to live in ways that would actually give them more of what they want in life. Amazing. We fail to live in ways that would actually give us more happiness, more joy, and more purpose in our lives. The way Jesus said it is this, it is more blessed to give than it is to you guys are listening. I love it. Jesus actually said that. That's good news. And so I've been, ta- I've been acting as your coach in this series. In week one, we said, hey, when you give, you're given from your true identity. It's who, it's who Jesus is, him living in you. When you give, you reflect the heart of God. That, you know, God is the most generous being in the universe. When you give, you actually step into life that is truly life. And then last week, I talked about this idea that God wants you to excel in this grace of generosity, this grace of giving. And in order to do that, we're going to have to get rid of greed. We're going to have to get rid of debt. And we're going to have to get rid of self-reliance, and I challenged all of you to start bringing the tithe back. I looked at Malachi chapter 3, and we talked about this idea that God says, test me in this, try me, put me to the test, bring the tithe back, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and fill your car with donuts or your bedroom with donuts. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you had to be here last week, but, but God says, I will bless you. I will bless you tremendously if you just bring the tithe back. I, I want to read you a note that I got last Sunday night from a, a middle school girl. She, she gave me this uh, when we were doing Pack the House. She walked up to me and she said, Danny, dear Danny, I'm very thankful for your sermon on giving. My mom and dad have taught me to give, to give and I have not done it on a consistent basis. Your talk about giving really spoke to me. I've been saving all my money to go on a trip to Nicaragua. Today I realize that saving for the trip isn't the same as tithing. I want to tithe all the money that I've been saving up to this point, uh, up to this point, and then I want to begin tithing on all the money that I make in the future. So far I've made $510, so I'm tithing $51. I love my church. And inside the note was $51 of this girl's tithe. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? Yeah, if you're excited, clap, right? Because at least somebody listened to my talk last week. At least one person said, okay, I'll do it. And it was a middle school girl. That's okay. That's all right. I'm going to challenge you to follow her example. Something tells me that this little girl's trip to Nicaragua is going to get funded. What do you think? You think God's going to bless her? Absolutely God's going to bless her. In fact, last night somebody came up to me and gave me $100 for her. I love it. I can't wait to give it to her. So what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? I'm going to give you a big idea, and then we're going to talk about some ways to apply that idea. Here's the big idea. Ready? That generosity flows from a joyful heart. Generosity flows from a joyful heart. 
A heart filled with excitement. A heart that says, I, I get to give. I don't have to give. It's not something that I'm, I need to do out of obligation. It's something that I have an opportunity to do, and I'm so excited to do it. In the Old Testament, there's a great example of a guy named David. He was the king of Israel. And God told David that there was going to be a temple that was going to be built, and David wanted to build it, but God said, no, you have killed too many people in battle. Your hands are, you got, you're a warrior, you're a soldier. I don't want you to build it. I'm going to have your son Solomon build it. And so David was like, okay, that's fine, but what can I do to help my son build this temple? So David decides in 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29 that he's going to make some contributions to the temple so that it will be beautiful and that his son will have enough money to pay for the temple. So listen to what he gives. First Chronicles 29, he gives out of his own personal treasury 112 tons of gold. Not too bad. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty generous, don't you think? Then he takes it a step further and he gives 262 tons of silver out of his personal treasury. And then he says to the rest of Israel who had gathered, there was this gathering there, he says to all the captains and, and all the, the king's administrative, all the officers there, all the leaders of Israel, he says to them, now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Translation, I've given the shirt off my back. Who will give their shirt off their back? That's what a friend of, a friend of mine said before the service. I thought that was good, so I used it. So basically he's saying, I went first. I, I sacrifice. I'm going to give oh, tons, literally tons of gold, tons of silver. Watch how the people, the leaders, follow David. Watch this. The, everybody got together, and they gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron, and they also contributed, contributed numerous precious stones and gems that they put in the treasury. Boy, did they ever respond. They said, David King, leader, if you're going to go first, we're going to follow after you. So someone on staff here added it up. His name is Matt. He added up what it would be in today's dollars. It, it was over $10 billion in today's money, what they gave to this temple. Boy, you had to see this temple when they built it. I wasn't there, but I've heard. I've read about it. <laughs> Beautiful, man. And after they gave all of these offerings, listen to what happens in verse 9. The people, say it with me. Rejoice, a little, bit, a little bit more passion. The people did what? They rejoiced over what? Over the money they just gave. The tons of gold, the tons of silver, the tons of bronze, the tons of iron. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly. Not, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not because D King David said, if you don't give, I'm going to be angry with you. No, they gave freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David's heart was filled with, say it with me, joy. Where, is, where does generosity come from? It comes from a heart that is filled with joy. When Paul was using the, the Macedonians as an example of generosity for the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, listen to what he says about these Macedonians. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. However, watch this, they are also filled with abundant, what? Joy. Say it with me again. Joy. They had abundant joy, and guess what happened because of that joy? What, it overflowed in rich generosity. Where does, where does generosity come from? I'm telling you what, it comes from a heart of joy. When, in the next chapter, chapter 9, Paul is coaching the Corinthians on how to be more generous, how to expand their generosity. Listen to what he says in verse, in verse 11. You must each decide in your hearts. That's where the decision is made. Yes, we have to be 
we have to think about it in our head, okay? I know there's some of you that are big Excel spreadsheets people, and it's all got to add up for you, and you have charts and columns for everything. That's fine. But this decision is made in your heart, okay? It, it, it comes from a place of joy. So you must decide in your heart how much, how much you are to give, and don't give reluctantly or out of a response to pressure. Don't let anyone coerce you. Don't let anyone make you feel guilty. Don't let anyone show you pictures of, of poor children in a far country and then ask you to give. And that's, that's when some organizations do that. I'm not against that. I'm just saying that puts pressure on you. It's almost like, well, now I have to. Look at all these kids that need money. He says, listen, don't do that. Instead, watch, for God loves a person who gives, say it with me, cheerfully. God loves a person who's excited. God loves a person who gives out of a delight, of a person who thinks this is not something that I have to do. This is something that I get to do. God loves a joyful giver. God loves a person that when they pass the buckets in church, like we just did, God loves a person that says, man, I can't wait for the bucket to pass me because here's my money, and, uh, but where is that bucket? They need to get it over here because here's my cash, so I'm going to put it in there, right? And, and to, let's be honest, a lot of us struggle when the bucket passes, don't we? We don't want the bucket to pass because if we don't put something in it, what's the next person going to think? Now, I know some of you give online, and that's awesome, and, and maybe you should say when you grab the bucket, I give online and pass it by. <laughs> that might be helpful. But some of you don't give anything at all. In fact, many of you don't give anything at all. And you hate when the bucket passes by. You're not like, man, give me that bucket. I just want to put, I can't wait to put some money in the bucket. And because you, it, here's why. Because you don't see giving as an opportunity. You don't see it as a delight. You're not excited. Your heart is not filled with joy. And so here's the question I want to answer today. If giving flows, if generosity flows from a joyful heart, and we do not have joyful hearts, how do we become a joyful giver? How do we make that switch? There's many of us that need to make that switch, and I'm going to give you three ideas today, and uh, hopefully it's going to help you. Number one, how do we become a joyful giver? You have to see yourself first and foremost as God's money manager. God's money manager. If you have any money in your pocket, guess what? It's not yours. You are a steward, not an owner. You are an investor of God's resources. You are not an owner of the resources that are in your accounts or that are in your pockets. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 29, after King David gives this huge offering of gold and silver and all the people follow up the offering with, with lots of gold and silver and iron, all these different things, David kind of explodes in this, this um, I don't know, this, this, this moment of worship. I want to read you, read you what it says and right after they gave the offering. He says, Oh Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may your name be praised forever. May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Watch this. Everything in the heavens and on earth is, say it with me, yours. Everything, God. You own it all because this is all your kingdom. And he continues. He says, we adore you as the one who's over all things. Watch this. Wealth and honor come from my hard work. My great business acumen, my, my great ability to read the stock market and make the right investments. That's where my wealth comes from. Is that what it says? Yeah, it's not what it says. From the mouth of babes, right? <laughs> Wealth and honor come from you alone because you rule over everything. I didn't get this wealth because I'm so smart and so wise and I have such a great ability to make money. No, God, it comes from you. He says, oh God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I, he says, and who are my people that we should give you anything? Watch, watch this. 
He's basically saying to himself, this just doesn't even make sense. We don't even give anything to you. Listen to what he says. Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. God, if there's any money in my pocket, if there's any money in my accounts, it's because you have given it to me. It is yours, and I'm simply returning back. I'm bringing back to you what already belongs to you. See, that takes a paradigm shift in your mindset. You are not an owner. You are a steward. You are a money manager. You are an investor of the funds that God has placed in your possession. Does this make sense? Say amen. Mm. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way. In other words, God will prosper you and give you some finances to manage. You will be enriched in every way so that you can go out and expand your standard of living. Is that what it says? You're going to get a raise. You're going to get a Christmas bonus so you can buy more stuff for yourself. Is that what it says? You're going to get a tax check this year so you can go ahead and make that purchase you've been wanting to make for yourself. Is that what it says? God says you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be, say it with me, generous. God doesn't prosper you and increase your income so you can expand your standard of living. He, he, he prospers you, you so, 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 so that you can expand your standard of giving and generosity. This isn't a fun message, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. We need to hear it because you are not the owner. You are a steward of the resources that God has blessed you with. You know, so in that sense, if that's true, you know how I pray? I pray God increase my income. I want to make more money. God, increase, increase the money that flows into my life, not so that I can buy more stuff for myself, but so that I can bless more people. Whoa. You ever prayed that way? Most of us want more money for us. We're, we, we, do, we have this, this, what, this thing that Andy Stanley calls the, the, consum, the, the, the consumption assumption, that if it comes to me, it must be for me. That if I get a raise, well, it must be for us. Family, we're going on vacation. <laughs> We're buying new clothes. We're getting a new house. We're getting a new car, right? The assumption is that if it comes to me, it must be for me. It is not true. If it comes to you, it is for others. Yes, take care of yourself. Yes, you need an automobile. You need a house. You need clothing. You need food. You need these things, life insurance, health insurance, all these different things. Of course you take care of yourself. And then you say, now what? Now who else, God? Now who else are we going to bless here? Because this is your money. And you gave it to me to be a blessing to other people. Wow. Paradigm shift. Right? Different way of looking at things, isn't it? And then when that happens, when you receive that paradigm shift, man, get big. generosity becomes joyful because now you're looking for opportunities to bless people's socks off. Isn't it fun to do that? <laughs> Number two, you want to become a more generous giver. You have to see yourself as the beneficiary. A lot of us are not generous because... We think it's a losing deal. We think if we put money in somebody else's pocket, this is how it works. That it's in my hand. If I give it to you, I lose. Now my hand is empty. It's not true. It's not true. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. A generous person will, say it with me, prosper. They'll be made fat. That's the way, that's the, way the King James Version says it. And we, they don't use that word anymore because it's not very polite. Because people, you know, don't like it. But the, the word means to, to grow. <laughs> that's what it means. So the, the generous person will be blessed, literally. Whoever refreshes others will be, say with me, refreshed. I don't know how this works, people. Listen, I don't understand it. 
It's just true. The more you give, the more you're blessed. I, I can't explain the details, the details of it. Listen, there are lots of things I don't understand. I don't understand how a car works. I just put the key in. It turns. The thing turns on. I know i got to put gas in it. Somehow that makes it all happen. But some people start explaining it, spark plugs and this and all that stuff. I'm like, look, I don't need to know. I just need to get from here to there, right? I don't understand this necessarily. I just know that it works. I don't understand electricity. I use it all day long. I just know that this works. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, give and it will be given to you. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Bless others and you will be blessed. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. He says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If you give, you will receive. Now let's go back to the first part of the verse. I've always read this and thought, what the heck does that talk about? What does that mean? You ever, you ever feel that way when Jesus would say something like, like, I don't know what that means. Here's what this means. I'll give you, I'll give you a little insight on this really quick. All, that, all this means is that when farmers would, would farm their field back in Jesus' day, they were not allowed to harvest the corners of their land. They had to leave the corners for the poor. That was a rule in the Jewish law. So when the hired workers would harvest the middle of the field, they would fill up their baskets, but it wouldn't really be a good measure. It'd be about three-fourths of a basket because they really didn't care. They were being hired by the hour, right? So they didn't have a good measure in their basket. But when the poor people came, and they would usually walk from miles away, they would harvest the corners, and so what they would do, they would get down on their hands and knees, they would fill up their basket with a good measure, in other words, all the way to the top, then they would press the corn down, or whatever crop they were harvesting, they'd press it down, then they would shake it together, why would they shake it together? To get all the pockets of air out, right, to get more in the basket, they'd pr- and, then they'd, and then they'd fill it up again, shake it up, press it down, and then fill it up a third time, and then they would take their basket. This is a full measure. And then they would walk miles all the way home. Why would they fill up their basket like that? As opposed to the hired hourly workers, it was because they were going to live off of that food. That was their substance for the week or the month. Jesus says, that's how I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to fill up your basket, press it down, shake it together, running over us, be poured into your lap when you are generous. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly, whoever gives a little bit will reap a little bit. But whoever gives or sows, say it with me, generously will also reap generously. Again, I don't understand it. I really can't explain it. I just know that it's true. Now, some of you don't give, and you're not very generous because you had a bad experience with generosity. Well, Jack and I have too. We have too. One year, we decided to give a car away. Crazy, a couple years ago. We said, let's, let's bless this couple with a car. And uh, we was like, oh, man, that'd be cool. You know, we've never done anything that big before. And so we gave this couple that we knew a car. And we thought, this is going to be great. It's gonna be, they're going to have transportation. They needed a car. And uh, a couple months later, they sold the car for cash. And they put the cash in their pocket. Does that sound weird to anybody else but me? <laughs> it's like, what? We, we could have did that. It's like $5,000 car. What, what's going on? And, you, and so, have you ever had that experience where you, were you, were you, were you generous to somebody and then it didn't quite work out how you thought it would? Didn't, maybe they didn't appreciate it. Maybe they didn't say thank you. 
Maybe, uh, maybe they, it ended up, you, know, they, you opened up a door and now they're coming back to your door, ringing the doorbell. It's like, hey, is there any more left, you know? I, and so because of that, we have a tendency sometimes to back away and say, this is, a lose, lo- this is a losing equation. I'm telling you, it's not. It's not. Even if you've had a bad experience, this is still true. Jesus said, if you give, it'll be given back to you. You are the beneficiary. Now, when, when you bring that to the table and you have that mindset, it becomes a joyful experience to be generous. Number three, number three, you want to be a joyful giver, you have to see yourself as living forever. Man, you got to see yourself as living forever. If you get nothing else today, man, I hope you get this idea. You are an eternal being. You will live forever. One of the big hang-ups when it comes to generosity is that we are, we are short-sighted. We're thinking only about this life. We forget that we are eternal beings and that we're going to live forever. And so we get focused on the here and now and, and, and building and accumulating things and buying the next thing. And, and so our hands are closed and we're saving money for ourselves. And if anything comes to us, it must be for us so that we can expand our life because life, we only get so much time on this earth. And we forget that we live forever. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13. For this world is not our permanent home. Don't be fooled. Don't get too comfortable. You are not going to live here forever, the writer says. Yet, watch this, we are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. Our eyes are looking towards heaven. We understand as Christ followers, or at least we should understand as Christ followers, that we will spend far more time in heaven than we will here on earth. Do you understand that? You will spend the majority of your life in another place. You have a sliver of time here. You just heard Jenny talking about Brian. This really really doesn't really register until we lose someone that we love and they go on to heaven. And that's when heaven becomes a very big reality to us and we realize, oh my gosh, this life is short. It's a, it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's like the, the Bible describes it as, as grass being here today and gone tomorrow. It's short. So why am I living for today alone? I need to be spending and using resources in a way that impacts eternity. That's exactly right. Here's how Dallas Willard explained you and me as people. He said, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny and God's great universe. That's true of every single one of us. You will live forever, and so will I. So what we need to begin doing is living in such a way that will impact eternity. Today's life, how we spend resources, how we handle resources, actually has an impact on our forever in heaven. And so that's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 6. He taught this very principle. Listen to what he says. He says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, Don't just invest in things on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, here's what I want you to do. Store up treasures for yourself in, say it with me, heaven. In the next life where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What is Jesus saying here? He's not saying don't invest in a 403B or a 401K or or in real estate. He's He's not saying don't invest in your retirement. You have to be wise, right? You don't want to end up 65 eating Alpo, right, as Dave Ramsey says. You want to invest in your retirement so you can have some some money at the end of your working life. But that investment is not the best investment. That's, that investment, something can go wrong with it. The stock market could crash. The, the real estate that you buy could burn, right? Those things can be lost. You can have thieves come in and steal. Like the weather can do something crazy to your, to your earthly investments. 
Rather, invest in things that will pay eternal dividends. Invest in things, Jesus says. Spend your money in a way. Be, 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 a, be a, a, a spender in such a way that you're, you will have eternal dividends. Invest in things that will pay you back forever. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I invest in things in this life in such a way that I will have an eternal dividend? Listen to what Paul said. It's a great question. He said, command them to do good. Who is them? Those are the rich people. Now, if you make above $40,000 in this country, uh, that's what, that's what the, st- the, st- the statistics show, that if you make above $40,000, you are among the top earners, the top 4% in the world. So this includes us, ready? Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be, say it with me, generous and willing to share. Watch this. In this way, in what way? in being generous, being rich in good deeds, in this way, and Paul actually uses the phrase that Jesus uses, in this way you will lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age. Wow. Paul answers the question. Well, what does it look like to make investments with my money right now in such a way that I will have eternal dividends, that my life in the next life will, have, it will, be, will be different? Well, it looks like you are generous right now and you're willing to share, and your life is filled with good deeds, and you're not just consuming all of the money and all of the resources on yourself. That is how you lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Does that make sense? Man, that's good stuff. That's a paradigm shift right there. What have we said today? We said that generosity flows from a heart that is filled with joy, And if we want to be joyful givers, we have to see ourselves as God's money managers. Not owners, just money managers, investors on his behalf. We have to see ourselves as the beneficiary. Those who are generous will be blessed. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And we have to see ourselves as living forever. You're an eternal being. You're an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That's true about you. Now, with that being said, you take those things into consideration, you're going to become a joyful giver. And that is what this series is all about. I've been trying to coach you, actually. I've been using the metaphor of a coach. And what a good coach does is a good coach gives his players instruction. A good coach teaches his players certain skills on how to be successful. A good coach... uh, puts a game plan together for the team and says, here's how we're going to win today's game. A good coach provides encouragement and support to his players, right, her players. And so what I've been trying to do is act as your generosity coach over the last three weeks. And if you're sitting in the room today, you are on Team Emmanuel, okay? And I'm sort of your coach in a sense. And so as a team, we have some goals and objectives and things we want to do in this community and in Cartagena, Colombia, in Africa, uh, in, in Nicaragua, in Haiti. We've got some things. We've got some, we got some work on the ground, people's lives that are being touched week in and week out. We're trying to build a multi-site in Franklin, and, and so we've got some goals. So when you, when you take the instruction that you've heard over the last three weeks and you, and you expand your generosity, guess what? The team Emmanuel wins. Like we actually re- our goals and we start reaching the people and we start blessing people and seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And kids downtown get to have food over Christmas break. Why? Because Team Emmanuel has heard this, this sermon series and have, have adjusted their capacity in their generosity and Emmanuel, the Team Emmanuel wins. That's awesome. It's great. That's one part. The other part is your personal life. 
you personally. Paul says, command those who are rich in this age to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and share. And in doing so, they will lay up treasures for themselves in heaven and and create a firm foundation for themselves. But then he finishes with this sentence. Take hold. In doing that, you will take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, my job as your pastor is to lead you down a path to take hold of life that is truly life. A life that promises true joy and true peace and true fulfillment and true satisfaction that is not connected with money or sexual pleasure or adoration or power or success or any of that. It's life that is truly life. How do, how do we attain that? One way, one way is by giving. It's by giving. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What we've been saying in this series is, the more you give, the more you live. The more you open up your hands, the more you are blessed. Look, if you don't believe the Bible, if you don't believe the Bible, just believe the empirical evidence. Just, just believe, this, this has nothing to do with God or the Bible or spirituality or anything. And I just want to read you the, basically the the summation of the whole book. This is the, the biggest finding they found. This is in your notes there. First, the more generous Americans are, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life they enjoy, period. So if you're not, if you say, I don't believe the Bible, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in God, I don't, okay, look, you don't even have to be a Christian to leverage this principle. It's just true that the more you give, the more you live. I want that for you. I want that for myself. Jackie and I are going first. We're not the most generous people, but we're certainly on that path, trying to expand our capacity in this whole area of generosity. So let me close this series out with this question. Will you live a more generous life based on what you've heard? The ball is now in your court. Your court. See, church is a dangerous place. <laughs> Churches, churches, it's very dangerous because you hear things. You hear things. Like, given, it should be given unto you. And, you know, those who bless others will prosper. And all these different ideas we've talked about over the last three weeks. And now, now that you've heard it, you've got to kind of like respond to it. And then one day, this is why church is a dangerous place. One day you'll sit before Jesus, you'll sit before God, and he'll judge you. And he'll judge you based on the things that you've heard out of this book from either me or some other preacher or the radio or podcast or something like that. And he'll say, hey, remember when you heard that series on, you know, it's better to give than it is to receive? What did you do in response to it? Did you decide to shift some things in your finances or did you just keep on going the way you were going? Hands closed. Like 75% of all the other Americans. And you'll have to answer for that. See, church is a dangerous place. Some of you are not coming back next week. You're like, I don't want to hear anymore. (laughs) But the purpose of church is to get you to shift. It's to get you to change. The Bible word is repent to go. I was going this way, and now I was like, oh, gosh, I'm not that generous. I'm going to go this way. That's the purpose of of a sermon, of a talk, of a service, is for you to shift. Will you shift towards a life of generosity? I promise you, I promise you. This is for you. 
It's not something I want from you. It's something I want for you. Now the ball is in your court. You know, when it comes to generosity, God has laid down the path. He has laid down himself as an example. In fact, in your one-year Bible reading, those of you who are following it with me, one-year Bible, 1 John chapter 4, this is what it says. This is how God showed how he feels about us and how he feels about us is he loves us. This is how he revealed it. This is how he demonstrated it. Watch this. He, that is God the Father, sent his one and only son into the world that we might go to heaven when we die. Is that what it says? That's not what it says, does it? Do we get to go to heaven when we die if we have put our faith in Christ? Yes or no? Yeah, he covers our sin, he washes our sin, he removes our sin, forgives us, he cleanses us. But that's, that's later. Listen to what it says. He gave his one and only son into this world that we might, say it with me, live, live. I have to live today. You have to live today. We're going to be alive tomorrow. Yes, heaven, in the future. That's where Brian Byers is right now, Jenny's husband. We just talked about that. Brian's there. We're all going there one day if you have faith in Christ. But today I have to live. God the Father gave Jesus Christ because he loved us so that we might take hold of life that is truly life. See, Christianity is not about going to heaven when you die. It's about living right now with Christ inside of you. His spirit inside of you. Loving people through you. Blessing people through you. Putting resources in your pocket so you could give those resources out to those people in need. That's what Christianity is all about. And some of you need to step into that. You've never done it before. You thought it was just about getting saved. You've been to churches in the past where where they say you need to get saved so you don't have to go to hell. Put your faith in Jesus so you can avoid the flames and the fire of hell. Okay, that's fine. That's, That's like way out there in the future. I don't disagree with that. But there's so much more to it. There's living right now with Christ inside of you. If you'd like to have Christ inside of you, if you'd like him to invade your life, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer and ask Christ to be your Savior. Ask him to wash away your sins. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to show you grace. Ask him to invade your spirit with his spirit and to take over your life and to give you life that is truly life. Take my words right now and make them your own. Express your faith to him right now. Say these words. Dear Jesus, thank you for being generous. You left heaven where you were rich and you came to earth and became poor so that my faith, I can become rich. Jesus, I reach out to you in confidence, in trust, in faith that you died on the cross you paid the penalty for my sin wash me and cleanse me make me one of your kids right now I'm not the best person I need your help from this day forward assist me, guide me instruct me Fill me. Be my teacher. 
be my guide, my instructor. Show me how to live this life exactly the way you lived it. Develop in me your character. Help me to become generous. All for your glory, all for your honor. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you didn't join a church. (laughs) You didn't join a denomination. You joined a family, and it's God's family. Can we give God a hand today for what he's done? If you prayed to receive Christ today, we want to put a Bible in your hands. It's a one-year New Testament. It's totally free to you. And the reason we do that is because we believe with all of our hearts, all of our hearts, that the God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It shows us how to live this life. It shows us how to get right with God. It shows us how to change things inside of us. It shows us what his will is and what he wants out of our life. And so we want to put one of these in your hands. If you're in the balcony, you can come on down. There's tables down here. If you're down here on the main floor, you can go back there and grab a Bible. Now, as we walk out of here today, I really did mean to poke you. I really did mean to prod you. It is my job to make you uncomfortable. I know, I know, you don't like it sometimes. But it is my job Here's what spiritual leadership is, and this is what I try to do. Spiritual leadership is taking people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And I know, I know, I am absolutely convicted in my heart. This isn't an opinion I have. I know in my heart, many of you are not very generous. And that is not where God wants you. He wants you to move from being ungenerous to generous so that you can take hold of life that is truly life. And so I've tried to poke you, prod you, and lead you to make that change. Now it's up to you to make that shift. I hope that you'll do it. Now, before I pray, let me say this. Next week's Christmas. Next week is Christmas, a natural time of the year where you can invite your friends, coworkers, maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member who does not come to church. It's a great time. I mean, who doesn't come to church on Christmas time, right? Well, maybe there's some people, but most people will accept an invitation if you ask them. So we're starting a brand new Christmas series next week. It's a great opportunity for you to bring your friends. Be bold, be brave, and invite. Let's pray. Jesus, we're here because of you, because of your act of generosity. You laid your life down. You gave everything for us that we might have life. Help us, help us to move towards generosity so that we could take hold of the life that is truly life. Father, we want to reach people through your church. We want Team Emmanuel to be effective with our multi-site strategy and to reach people in Cartagena and Haiti and Nicaragua and Africa, downtown Indianapolis. We want to be your hands and your feet. That vision will expand, Father, as you move on the hearts of your people in this area of generosity. Spirit of God, I ask that you move it in a powerful way so that Team Emmanuel can fulfill the vision you've given us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.